content is king. It's a phrase we hear all the time in marketing. But how can you, as a founder, use it to your advantage, particularly in your blogging? In today's show, we're going to find out how you can use blogging to beat that corporate competitor. My name is Jared Doyle, and this is the Fractal Podcast. So today we're lucky to be joined by Kaz McCullough, who is a blogging, writing innovator extraordinaire based here in Brisbane with me. I've known Kaz for oh, 18 months, maybe two years now, and I'm very excited to have her on the show. Thank you so much for joining us, Kaz. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. Brilliant. Well, so we're very lucky, and um, and I know this because I've used Kaz pro, Kaz's templates, her programs, her advice before to help me with my blogging, and so I'm excited to extract some of Kaz's amazing knowledge and experience to help you with as a founder with your blogging and to drive your business forward. So I'm going to jump straight in and start asking Kaz some questions, and we're going to see if we can't help you as a founder drive your business forward with your blogging and your content. So. To kick things off, Kaz, I mean, what do you see is the biggest difference between founders who are blogging and maybe, say, big businesses? And, 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 and is there an advantage for a founder if they're taking on blogging as part of their marketing mix? Oh, that's a huge question, actually. So what I find is, I mean, big, bigger businesses have a lot of resources available to them, a lot of money that they can put behind blogging. But oftentimes what happens is they end up with content that's a little bit lackluster. It doesn't really kind of promote any individuals within an organization. And oftentimes it's not the CEO writing that content. And it's, you know, sometimes they get it right. And oftentimes the visual content's awesome. But when it comes to written content, it can be a little bit kind of, you know, passe. And that's what I've experienced anyway, looking at more corporate content. When it comes to founders, so you're trying to establish your name and your brand and your authority because you want to attract investment, you want to attract customers, you want to show that you are the right person to take that business forward. And so what blogging does is it actually gives you an opportunity to share your expertise and build your authority in a way that's more difficult um, through just publicity or uh, through, you know, I mean, interviews are awesome too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love being on podcasts like yours. That's good. That's a relief. <laughs> yeah, but blogging is a really cheap, accessible way for you to actually build your profile over time. So the analogy I like to use is that it's like putting money in the bank and it earns interest. So do you get that when you pay for advertising, you are getting the value out of that advertising in the moment, like actually when you're paying for it. So as long as you're paying for it, you're getting the value out of it. But when you're blogging, you're getting the value out of it long after you actually write something. So someone could read something you write and, you know, maybe three years down the track and get incredible value out of it and want to do business with you. So that's a huge differentiator and it's a huge advantage to people who get in the habit and are consistent about putting quality content out there. Yeah, I like that. So it's like you need to look at blogging as like building up an asset base of your marketing collateral that's going to pay off over a long period of time as opposed to something like where you basically you're renting an audience off Google or Facebook where it's a temporary thing. I pay a dollar, I get a view. And then that's the end of it. Whereas your content, I guess, mm-hmm. I mean, even, I mean, you know, podcasting is a form of content as well, right? So whilst I like totally. to think that a lot of people are going to be listening to this in, you know, January of 2019, the reality is that you might actually be listening to this in 2020 or 2021, 
um, which is amazing, which says that this is the power of content. It's you're building up an asset. Yeah, I like, I really like that approach. And I particularly like the way you framed that it's the personality. So yeah, you know, a brand or a company can be a little bit dry, but as a founder, you get to be yourself and you, I guess, you know, in, in part that personality can be a bit more opinionated rather than that dry corporate blog that has to get through legal compliance before you can hit publish. Yes. So is that the trick? Yeah. Do, you, do you take a few more risks? Do you put a bit more personality into your posts if you're a founder? Yeah, well, when you think about it, it's a huge advantage because you don't have to put it through that due diligence that you would if you're in a corporate environment. Um, not saying that you shouldn't have checks and balances and have people reviewing your content because that's a good idea. I like to have people that you can check in with and get feedback from. Absolutely a great idea. Uh, what I'm suggesting though is that you can do that so much faster because you don't have a massive committee of people that you need to report to and, and um, you don't have the same governance issues that you would in a larger corporation. Now, obviously that changes as you grow, but if you can set yourself up for success with that from the outset, then you're going to make that path a lot easier and you're going to find ways to m- cut cut out the time that it would take normally. Like I see I see organizations who they, they have staff writing amazing content and then it goes through policy review and it just gets ripped to shreds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because the problem is the policy reviewers aren't they're not writers and they are just all they're looking at is the risk in what's been said. A founder has the opportunity to take those risks that in a corporate environment would be more difficult. And I'm not saying it's impossible in a corporate environment. It's just that it's so much easier when you do that from the beginning. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic bit of advice. Um, and you do, you have to look at where you've got an op- where you've got a competitive advantage. And as a founder, there's plenty of times where you're not going to have a competitive advantage. So this is a trick where, yeah, you can basically take a few more risks. You can be a bit more personable. Use that to your advantage. I love it. It's a great tip. Thanks so much for that one, Kaz. I, I was wondering... Is there like a misconception that you find you're always battling against when we talk about blogging? I mean, and blogging means different things to different people, but is there a major misconception you find when you're talking to people about blogging or content writing that they always have and you find yourself always correcting? There's probably quite a few. I think, well, one is that a blog needs to be on your own website. A blog can be anywhere and it doesn't necessarily have to just be written content. I mean, when you publish your podcast, do you publish notes on your website yeah, you, to yeah, go you, with your either, either headlines or even a full transcript if I can afford to pay someone yeah. a dollar a minute to do that for me, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that in itself then becomes a blog post and so it's just an audio format, you know, contributing to that blog post. So it's a blog isn't necessarily just the written format. I think the written format is really important because not everyone likes to listen to a podcast. Um I mean, you know, who doesn't like to listen to a podcast? But all, all the people, people listening don't. now love podcasts. It's a, you've got a captured right. audience, so we'll play up to them. Yeah, oh, a huge number of people like listening to podcasts. It's so accessible uh, with videos, for instance. I mean, you know, there's all this talk about video taking over the world, and soon there's going to be like search engines that can, you know, analyze your video content. And so people are saying things like, "Oh, written content's going to go out the window." That's just not the case. It's, it's such a fair fee because the thing is, like I look at my own habits as a, as a consumer of information and I like to read. And, and when an automatic video comes on a website, I do everything I can to shut that thing down. I nearly said something bad there. Um, 
you know, I do everything I can to turn it off because I find it so invasive. I like to take my time and digest information and I'll skim read and then I'll go back to the beginning. And if I like the article, I'll just read the whole thing. And that's how I consume information. And I'm not alone. There's a lot of people out there like that. I think the thing to keep in mind is that different people like different styles of communication and it's good to cater to a good mix. So, You'll find that you'll have an audience that predominantly likes one form over another. And so if you're finding that your ideal audience is liking podcasts over written content, then you might want to spend more time on that. Whereas if it's the other way around, then you might want to spend more time on that. Does yeah, that make sense? That's fantastic advice. And and just getting back to the point you made at the start, which I think is absolutely crucial. I like the way you said it, you know, your blog doesn't have to be on your own website because, you know, we have a tendency as human beings, I guess, to always put barriers in way. Oh, I've got to build a blog, which means I've got to get hosting and a domain name. I mean, I'm seeing more and more people blogging on Medium and LinkedIn. Is that Would that be your recommendation is to, to remove all the barriers and just jump onto something like a LinkedIn or a Medium or, or some other form of blog, blogging platform? Yeah, I think just getting started on writing and and not worrying about what platform that's on. Just get started and actually sharing your thoughts and ideas. And I think Medium is a good choice. I don't think LinkedIn is the best choice, to be honest with you. Um, LinkedIn Publisher doesn't get as much traction as LinkedIn would hope that it would. <laughs> um, and that comes from experts in the space like Viveka von Rosen, who's you know pretty much said, look, don't waste your time on Publisher. And it's I find that Medium, though, is a really good platform for thought leadership content, and that would be a really good starting point if that's the style of content you want to create. Uh, but I also think that having your own property, your own web property with your own race course on it, you know, which, which you can control, that is that is where it's at because then you're able to then drive traffic from Google or from Bing or whatever platform, you know, is your platform of choice in terms of SEO. I mean, it's not even your platform, it's whoever's searching for you, right? So whatever's their platform of choice. And then then they're able to to find you on your own owned resource. So that's important, but you could just start by experimenting with different formats. I mean, you can use Facebook notes. You've, you've got so many different options. It, it's just, yeah, I think it's just more about getting in the habit and People tend to be perfectionists and they go, oh, well, I don't, don't, you know, I'm not comfortable with writing and I don't, I'm not good at it yet. But the thing is, it's like I tell my kids when it comes to making scrambled eggs, it takes practice. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's, that, that's an absolutely essential tip there, isn't it? It's like you could, if you don't start because you're not good at something, how are you ever going to get good at it? So it's just a case of have a go you know, rip the band-aid, so to speak, start writing. And yeah, you'll write some things that'll crash or write some things that you might cringe about. But if you do it, the more you do it, I guess eventually you'll get good. And that's just practice. I think that's a really, that's an important bit of advice because it's, yeah, it's it's the thing where you always holds us back where we sort of sit there and we have that innate perfectionist in our personalities to some degree. And it's that excuse, you know, I'm not going to do blogging because I've, and even pre-show I said to you, I'm, I'm not a great writer. So I'm already putting myself in that mindset. Oh, I'm not a great writer, so I won't do it. And you think, actually, I probably could. <laughs> so yeah, good tip. I love that. Yeah, well, you know, there you go, Jared. And the thing is, is that, you know, we can say that about a lot of things in life that hold us back. So what I would challenge you to do is to make a list of those things and maybe put writing in that list. And and if there's anything where you're going, oh, you know, I don't have the confidence I have with other things in this particular area, then that is something you can work on. 
Absolutely. Fantastic. So I'm curious if there's any areas that you think are like hot right now, sort of a, to use a Zoolander term, it's like Hansel so hot right now. Is there something in blogging, is an area that people are buzzing about? Is there a technique or a tip or a trick that everyone's like, this is what we're doing at the moment? Or do you think it's it's quite consistent in its, um, I guess, trends at the moment? Yeah. So I think the biggest industry-wide trend that I've seen in the last year is the idea of really empowering employees within an organization or members within a community to contribute content. So it's it's user-generated content, but it's it's um it's kind of done with purpose and usually within a community that's already related. Does like, that make I sense? I like that. So, so, you, so brands or company, bigger companies are empowering their employees to actually write on behalf of the company, yes. but in their own voice. That's right. So it's happening more and more. And I identified that as a trend about a year or so ago. And um, that trend got featured on Content Marketing Institute's Trend Watch for January last year. I don't think they did one this year, but they didn't ask me to do one this year, which is they had every other year. So um, yeah, it was kind of my one time where I got to <laughs> give my two cents worth. And it was it was really interesting that they picked that up because I've seen it come up so much in the last year. And it's something that I'm watching really keenly because in terms of the technology that I've developed, I see that as an area where we can really tap into. And the reason why is because it's way cheaper to get your employees writing content and it's way more believable and authentic for readers. Plus it exponentially increases the reach of content for any given company or organization. So if you, like for instance, if you're a nonprofit organization and you had a large membership base, you could empower your members to create content that's in their voice, that's authentic, that's diverse, and that tells their stories. So it takes this focus off the company and off the brand so much, but it puts it onto the people behind that brand. And it's the human content that people want to read and want to consume. It's not necessarily the brand messages and stories. It's the humans behind those stories. Fantastic. And I guess, I mean, that, that works well. And if you're, but if you're a founder when you've, and it's kind of you or you and your business partner, is the trick then if you want to sort of outsource some of the content is to work with your customers, your clients or your partners um, or even, or you know, business contacts, a bit like we're doing now, really. <laughs> There's an opportunity to do that. But I, I guess it's also a little bit dangerous as you start incorporating more people um, and especially outsiders because you don't have full control over what they're going to write. So I guess it's a, it's a juggling act there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there is, you know, there's a way to manage contributors and you need to have good governance in place. You need to have good social media policies. You need to train people and make sure that they're engaged in the process. So there is a bit of education that goes with that. And if you start doing that from the get-go, like if you are, as a founder, you know, start with a small team and you get everybody writing content or contributing some form of content, even if it's just behind the scenes photos, then they're going to feel part of that journey a lot more than they would if they were just leaving it all up to the marketing person. Yeah, fantastic. I guess, you know, for a lot of people listening, one of the difficult things about blogging is the idea that the returns might take a long time. And, and I guess naturally it will do. What, what kind of time frame would you suggest for most founders? If they're starting out at point zero, how long do they need to be committing? And you know, how long is it going to take before they start to see some kind of not even a return, but you know, impact from their from their blogging efforts? I'm guessing because it's not like an overnight success thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. So, I mean, some people can write a post from the get go and it gets a lot of traction and then they just build on that over time. It just really depends on the size of their audience. 
So one person I'm thinking of who's just recently done, we have a a monthly challenge we run called the Mm -hmm. Great Blog Challenge. And he is this fellow, he's dyslexic and he's really uncertain about his writing, but he's given it a good crack and he's written amazing blog posts. And But he had a huge following already. So when he did put his post out there and it was awesome, it was so authentic, I loved it. He had like a heap of following. Like he had so many people following, following that post, commenting on it because he already had a massive following. And I think that's the trick. Like if you actually work on having conversations with people on social media and building your following and interacting with people in a genuine, authentic way, when it does come time for you to put that content out there, people are more willing to receive it and listen to it and take it on board and share it. And that's the trick, so that's really. About building, I mean, so, so one of the one of the tips is to, to sort of work on a social audience that you can reach out to. So when you do actually publish some content, there's some people that you can actually push it out to. So is that part of the trick? So it's like, I want to do blogging. I want to start producing content, work my social profile. So I've actually got some audience to push it out to, to begin with. Yeah, that's exactly right. So one of the things I did when I founded Writerly was I started a community on Facebook from day one and I had nothing. Like I had a concept, I had a a service that I was offering a few people and and we were going to develop a tech platform out of that. And so people have come along for the ride and they've been part of that journey. They've given feedback, they've attended my events and that group has become like the nucleus for all of my communication with the people who care about what I'm doing the most, right? So, and it makes such a difference, like having that community, like a few months ago, you know, last year was a rough, rough year for me, rough personally and professionally in many ways. And, you know, I lost my sister. I had a number of things happen and it was just really awful. And I put this Facebook live post out. I was actually on my way back from the States and I was in Fiji of all places. And I just put this post out saying, Hey, this is where I'm at right now. And I couldn't believe the number of people who came out of the woodwork to offer their support. It was incredible. It was so humbling. And that's what can happen when you build a community. You you know, you just end up with people who just really care. And that's, that's awesome. And every founder needs that. That's great advice. And, um, and and I think, you know, having that community, whether it be a formal community or an informal community, I guess, you know, the trick to that is giving as much as you're taking as well. So, you know, the time and effort you put into helping people, speaking to people, giving advice, supporting them with their content and their goals means that, you know, at the point in time where you need that support to come back to you, it's all sitting there. You don't have to ask for it. It's there and ready to come in. So, I guess that's so that that's a that's a big I guess a really big tip to making this work is that you don't just get to publish something and say here I've written something fantastic world love me it's in some ways it's a manifestation of the hard work and community building you've done beforehand that earns you the right <laughs> to have people reading what you've written and then support you so I love that it's it's you know you don't blog in isolation you blog as part of a marketing mix and I guess that's the thing isn't it? it's it's you've got to juggle for yourself and your time how much of that marketing mix you want blogging to be part of what you're doing I guess and it's going to be different for every founder I, I'm really keen to understand for early bloggers first-time bloggers what are the kind of metrics that you would recommend I mean, I realize it's not an exact science, right? So it's not media buying, but what are the kind of metrics that you recommend bloggers look at to see if they're doing things and, and things are going in the right direction? Okay, well, share, shared content is a bit of a vanity metric, but it does count when it comes to social media uh, because the more your posts are liked and shared, the, the higher your rank 
in um, search algorithms within those platforms. So that's an important metric from the start, but it's not, it's definitely not like the be all end all. So I'd be looking at, I mean, we've got Google Analytics, right? And it's not rocket science to set up goals in Google Analytics. And they've got courses that teach you how to do this. So it's a really good idea to actually, when you write cornerstone content, like the content that's fundamental to your brand and what you're doing, uh, then you track the visitors to your website, who's looking at that content and then where they're going next. Are they making a purchase decision after reading that post? Are they uh, signing up to your email newsletter? What are they doing next? And that's an important metric to follow because you want to be able to see which content is performing best. And that comes in really helpful when you actually want to advertise to your audience because if you're you're doing it well, you have a Facebook pixel and Google pixels and everything on your website, right? So, and when you actually want to start an advertising campaign, you want to get the most bang for your buck. So if you're promoting your content first so that you can narrow down your advertising audience and then build an audience that's like the people who like your website and like your content, then that makes it a lot in a lot more inexpensive at the end of the day and you're not wasting money reaching people who aren't interested in what you have It's really interesting. I love the way you went straight into, you know, website visitors and and setting goals and analytics, which suggests to me that, you know, you're blogging with a purpose as opposed to, say, blogging for vanity metrics. So the difference is, yes, someone might put a post up on Facebook and they might get three or 400 likes. That's great. But how many of those people actually clicked through, read, and maybe signed up or purchased something? And so I guess what you're saying is, even if you've got a small audience, if that audience is transacting and it's driving business for you, then you're succeeding. So maybe spend less time looking at the vanity metrics and more time looking at what your actual business objectives are and make sure you're driving those. Yeah, I like that. I really exactly. like that. Yeah. So I want to ask you, if you were sitting in a cafe meeting a first-time founder, she wasn't too sure what she wanted to do with the business, but knew that blogging wanted to be part of that, what would be the one, maybe two tips you would want to leave with her that's the best advice you can do for a first-time founder, a first-time blogger that hopefully is going to make a difference to her business. Okay. So what I usually suggest for people who are new to blogging or are just getting their products out there into the marketplace is that they write an awareness post to begin with, something that is meaty, that actually solves a pressing problem that your ideal customers would have uh, and gives them kind of how-to tips on how to actually solve that problem. So that's what I usually suggest uh, people start with. And then I suggest they follow with a post that's more about their story, their founder story, like why are they doing what they're doing? Because, you know, that saying, people don't care what you do, they care why yep, they're doing Simon, it. Simon said he um, made an entire career out of one presentation on TED. And it's, and it's funny, he um, he gets better and better, doesn't he, with his presentations. It's almost like he's following your formula of he just blogs and writes and records more and he gets better the more he does it. So, um, but yeah, sorry, I've, inter- I've interrupted yeah, your flow there. Yeah. Sorry, Cass. No, not at all. So- they, they care about your story. And I often find that when I share posts that are more about my why, about, you know, what is driving my choices and decisions and product development and all of that, that those are the posts that get the most traction. And they're the ones that people identify with because people are by nature aspirational, right? They want to They want certain things out of life, whether they know it or not, or they're thinking about what they don't have. And when you write content that actually really pinpoints 
stuff that they can really relate to and identify with, that's when it clicks for them. And that's when they go, oh my God, she totally gets where I'm at. Um, And that's what you want your readers to do. That's what you want your audience to do because that's when they're going to stick with you. That's when they're going to search out your content and share it with other people and sign up to your mailing list and then become customers and then become your flag waivers. You know, they're going to go out there and promote you for you so that it's not all you doing the work, right? So, And that's ideally what you want. You want to kind of establish a system where your blog kind of forms the hub or the heart of your marketing system. And it's generated, the growth is generated through the conversations that happen as a result. And then it just takes on a life of its own. And then you use advertising to enhance that. All right. So, yeah. So I guess, I mean, that's fantastic advice. And that and that last point really is um, just to give that little bit of an injection at the start is a little bit of paid advertising gets those first people seeing it and then it can take on a life of its own if the content can stand alone. Yeah, I like that. I think that's fantastic advice. So, Kaz, I'm... I'm obviously across your business and right, rightly and what it does. Can you, um, for, for people that are listening, can you give them the, uh, the 30 second spiel to what rightly is and, and, and where they can find it? Yeah, sure. So rightly, you can find me at dot um, and I'm sure you'll have a link in the notes. And basically what I do is I provide structure for people's content so that it kind of takes the guesswork out of how to write a really good quality story for your brand or for you as an individual. So a lot of people will struggle with how to write and oftentimes it boils down to the fact that they just don't know how to put their thoughts together in a coherent way. So what they do through Writerly is they get given a customized structure that guides them through that writing process step by step um, through their intro, through their middle section and their endings and gives them suggestions and ideas for what they could, you know, what kind of questions they should ask and how they should incorporate different types of information so that it's readable and relatable to the reader. And oftentimes I find that's what's missing in basic templates. Um, it's it's pretty much write your intro here, write your middle section here. We don't do that. Um, what we provide is highly detailed and it's actually tailored to the tone and voice that you want to use in your piece. And people kind of find that difficult to get their head around when I'm talking about it. So we make the first recipe free so that they can go on and experience what that is for themselves. I I love the fact you call them um, recipes. I think that's just such a great description for what you do. It's kind of like, yeah, it's literally a recipe for your, for your blog post. And, and and look, and I've used it, you know, I've used it. I recommend it to a number of people who just find it's this amazing way that breaks that barrier down. And I find for me personally, the thing I love most about Writerly is it gets you away from that blank page instead of like booting up word or notepad and going, okay, blank page, where do I start? Writerly kind of lays it all out and you feel like you've already started because there's so much there. And by the time you've worked your way through a writerly recipe, answering the questions that Kaz sort of sets out for you in this really descriptive visually way, you go, oh, actually I'm 80% of the way to a fantastic post. So I can't, I can't recommend writerly highly enough. I think, you know, you absolutely enjoy it. And then of course, you know, in signing up, you get onto Kaz's newsletter where she'll be constantly giving you tips and tricks. And then there's a, a Slack community and all sorts of things behind it as well that helps you I guess encourages you, which is the other big thing, isn't it? It's it's that encourages you to keep writing and keep trying and keep learning and keep improving. So 
Yeah, highly recommend. I'll put a link in the show notes, but yeah, definitely check out Writerly as a great way to get started. If you've got that kind of, we said at the beginning, that fear of starting and you've got that perfectionist where you're worried, oh, if I write something and it's not great, it might not work, check out Writerly and it will really help you get over that that hump. So thank you so much, Kaz. I really appreciate your time. Love your insights. And yeah, look forward to, you know, I'll have to get you back on the show in season three and we can get a little bit more advanced with some of these techniques because I know you can go a lot deeper. But thank you so much for your time. And I'll see you around the Brisbane Innovation Startup ecosystem again pretty soon, I'm sure. Yeah, no worries. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's show. If you really enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever program you use to listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to show your support for me or the show, please like or review on your preferred platform. This helps more people find the platform and really encourages me to keep producing more episodes. So until next week, good luck with your marketing.